And do you know how many people would probably like run away at the sight of dismembered legs? Yeah. Dude, there's a four foot bong and a bag of wheat by your bed. <laughs> Tillywinks, the parlor game for nerds, is nearing extinction. It's in my pod! It's in my pod! <laughs> I will find proof. <laughs> I'm very easily startled, Mr. Fingerman. <laughs> I don't know which regulation body would regulate the uh, penis ring that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I'm ready to remain conscious as we record this show. Okay, hey, welcome to Medical Stuff. My name is Mark. Uh, I prefer the guillotine Frankum, and that is Chris. I'm a firing squad kind of guy, Finkston over there. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, although I do like how um, of all the execution methods I've picked, because that's what we're talking about today, executions, uh, Firing Squad is not one of them. But of course, that makes it into the nicknames. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they can't all be gems, you know. No, no, no. Uh, Hey, actually, it was a gem. It was more mostly my lazy prep sheet that uh, didn't encompass your, your potential. So I apologize, really. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I, I guess, uh, so the last two prep sheets I've done have both been pretty grim, um, poisons being the last one that I did. And, uh, now executions. Chris is in, <laughs> I guess I should this. change it to, uh, Chris, I'm in a really dark spot right now. Fingston, you know? Right. Exactly. Just lots of, lots of death. Uh, actually it was Spencer even shot us a text being like, Hey man, darkest episode yet. And I'm like, you know what? Challenge accepted motherfucker. Let's yeah. <laughs> see where we can go. Oh, you think it's dark? Do you, uh, hold on to your hat, sir. So for executions, we're talking about judicial executions. So executions, uh, where some legal system throughout history has determined that someone needs to be put to death. Um, so throughout history, people have been inventing ways to kill other people. Sometimes this is in mass, like a nuclear bomb, sometimes in, in defense. Uh, but yeah, today we're talking about the times when someone really had it coming, or at least someone in power really thought they had it coming. Uh, so today, it's all about executions. Uh, Google Dictionary describes an execution as, quote, the carrying out of a sentence of death on a condemned person. Today, we're going to look at a few popular methods for doing this throughout history and how those executions uh, kill people exactly. And they even talk about the perspective uh, from the person as well who's getting killed. <laughs> so turn it up, kids. All righty. All right. So first on the list, uh, Mark, I'll let you take it away. Uh, decapitation. Well, it is my, it is my choice. Apparently that would be the way to go. Um, right. Uh, nothing is more iconic in the world of uh, executions than the good old guillotine. Uh, the guillotine was not the first beheading machine to be used, but it was one of the most popular due to the simplicity and construction and effectiveness. It was, uh, invented by two men, Mr. Gilo and Mr. Teen. <laughs> no, it was uh, jo- Joseph Ignace Guillotin. And uh, German sh- uh, engineer Tobias Schmidt, yeah. Now, uh, funny thing about Tobias Schmidt, he was actually a um, he was an engineer, but he primarily engineered and manufactured harpsichords. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you're not familiar with what a harpsichord is, it is a keyed string instrument. Right. Instrument. It has yeah, um, uh, it looks like looks kind of like a piano. Yeah, it has a very steely sound to it. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> And there if, you go. Chris, so he did that. if Chris if Chris cares about our uh, our audience, he'll edit in some uh, harpsichord music in this section. 
Yeah, so I guess you guys aren't getting harpsichord music. No, or, um, he'll, or he'll cut me out saying that so that nobody knows I said that. <laughs> Absolutely. The power of being the editor to this whole show. So, uh, Mark DJ, actually, Str- DJ Str- Str- Strube told me on Poisons that there's that, yeah. you actually left in a part where you're like, yeah, we'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah, so the problem is, is sometimes I listen to things and I'm like, I say like, yeah, we'll edit that out. I'm like, but you know what? It's actually kind of funny. Mm. Going to leave it in. <laughs> Well, he found it funny just because you said it, and then we didn't did take it out, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, or sometimes I've, sometimes I've done it before, too, where I said, yeah, we'll edit that out, and that's the only part that I've left in. I actually right. did edit out the part where you did it out, but I leave in <laughs> me saying that. So, um, But I also feel like someone once told me, one of our early listeners was like, yeah, when that happens, I kind of almost feel like I'm part of the crew, like I'm getting like a special sneak peek kind of behind the scenes of how things go. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to break down the fourth wall. I'm deadpooling this. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) So guillotine is a uh, large framework with a weighted blade attached to a rope. And the, uh, the the condemned would be brought up. They would have their head placed uh, in a position where the back of their neck was exposed. And then at the time of uh, death, they would drop the actual, they drop the blade. Now, the problem was with the guillotine, even though, yes, it was more effective than previous methods, which was somebody swinging an axe or a sword, mm-hmm. it still wasn't perfect. The blade was always, always work. No. You know, it, uh, you know, the blade wasn't always as sharp as it should be, or maybe it took two or three of them. You know, uh, yeah, it typically did. Uh, if, it, if it was as designed, it typically did it in one blow. But like Mark said, there were some problems with that. The other thing that caused an issue was the size of the neck. So the first guillotines were actually flat blades. But the common guillotine that you probably have in your head is the improved version. And that is with the angled blade edge. Right. And there's a really good sciencey engineering reason behind that. And that is because when you have that angled edge like that, Regardless of the circumference of, si- of someone's neck, it basically, it's the minimum amount of surface area contact required to push down. And so when you have a lot of weight behind something, the less surface area of the neck that it has to cut at once, the better. So if you have it perfectly flat, then basically you hit the neck, all of the neck full on at the same time. Versus if it's slanted like that, what you're really doing is you're not actually cutting straight down. You're kind of cutting at a diagonal. And so the opposition, the resistance the neck provides is not directly against the direction of travel. Uh, so that allows it to cut for longer without sharpening the blade. Right. Now, the, so previous, method, <laughs> the previous method, method with the problems were that the people that were doing the executions with the axes and the swords... Um, it wasn't like they were specialists at this. They, um, (laughs) you know, they, a lot of times to deal with the emotional trauma of killing people, uh, they were, could be fairly hammered when they did this. They would go out and tie one on before they had to go (laughs) up and do the job, you know? And it was interesting because (laughs) it was interesting because in Europe, um, this was almost there for a long time. It was a, uh. It was like a family job. This is what the family trade was. And fathers, yeah. you know, because, and they had their own, because they were kind of shunned by everybody else because of what they did. You know, they had their own little society away from everybody else. And now, so, um, well, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and so, you know, the, like I said, it wasn't uncommon for it to go from father to son. 
as the family job. But even then, you know, like I said, they, it, it's emotionally traumatizing. This is the biggest problem with being a, an executioner. If, you know, if you find the person who excels at it, then, you know, they may be on the guillotine at some point themselves because they probably are a psychopath of some form. Right. You know. Yeah. So, I yeah, can't you, wait to take on the family business. Exactly. You know, I can't wait to get to the killing. So, and then what Chris was saying, the guillotine was also just an imperfect. It was better than the option. Uh, so, actually, one thing I want to make a quick note about nobility. Uh, so, getting decapitated was actually, uh, at least during the French Revolution, this was something that was actually reserved for nobility because th- th- this is just <laughs> – how much class played a role in everything back then. Um, so you're going to get executed, but they didn't want to execute you in the same way the commoners got executed because they got hanged and getting hanged was perceived to be more painful than getting decapitated. So if you're an ability, you're still going to die, but at least we're going to decapitate you. And so it was actually outcries from nobility for a more humane way to become, to get decapitated that led to the invention of the, uh, of the guillotine. So there you go. Uh, so yeah, so how does it kill? So we'll talk a little bit about how it kills. Um, well, it, it cuts heads off. I mean, that's, that's basically how it kills, but there's some, um, there's some fun in that though. There's some, uh, some fun medical points to make this. So why does getting decapitated cause immediate and irreversible death? But, um, removal of the head creates a few problems. So first and foremost, blood supply. Uh, so your brain is the center of your consciousness. You perceive the world and your own existence thanks to your mind and your brain, like any other tissue in the body requires oxygen and nutrients to be brought to it via the bloodstream and to have waste products taken away. So when the head is severed, the actual cause of death is lack of blood to the brain. Both carotid arteries, which branch right off your aorta and provide blood to your, uh, to your brain, uh, get severed. And without blood, brain cells start to die immediately. They'll die very, very quickly. Uh, consciousness will not be possible after just a couple of seconds. And they did this. Uh, they actually determined that through studies on mammals, this has not been done on humans, but they have done uh, EEGs on mammals after decapitating them. And they watch for how long what they would consider uh, electrical brain activity uh, indicative of possible consciousness because consciousness is actually hard to determine just by brain activity but brain activity that would make consciousness possible uh lasted only a handful of seconds and there's some other studies we'll talk about more like tales we'll talk about later on that Mm -hmm. uh, relate to facial movements after death but anyway um so yeah so they start to die immediately. So uh, brain cells will start to die immediately. So consciousness will not be possible after just a couple seconds. And even in the time immediately following decapitation, the shock of being suddenly decapitated is likely to prohibit the condemned from realizing what exactly has happened. Uh, in addition to this, these two arteries being sever- severed will cause the body to lose massive amounts of blood. So the brain will die first because it doesn't hold a lot of blood around it and it'll immediately drain from the head rather quickly. Um, but organ failure for the rest of the body is soon to follow. So all your other organs need blood too. So even though the brain's dying because you have two massive arteries that are just right off of the aorta. So if you look at the aorta as it comes off the heart, it arcs 
And the first two things, well, the very first vessels off the aorta go back to the, the heart itself, but the next first two main branches go straight to the head. <clears throat> so you cut those two arteries coming off the aorta and basically your heart just sits there and pumps blood out of them until you have no more, which will cause every other organ to fail in your body as well. Uh, so second thing that'll happen is the spinal cord. Spinal cord will be severed. So the messages from your brain to the rest of the body travel down the spinal cord. And these messages regulate everything from hormone release to a multitude of different organ functions. Uh, they do, they do this by little carrier pigeons that fly along your spinal cord. Yeah, that is very <laughs> true. You know, Mark, and a lot of people don't know that. So I'm glad you brought right. that up. So, yeah, it's in the back of the book when you're studying A&P. It's not like right up front, you know. But um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, so without a phone line to command central, uh, organs will not be able to maintain homeostasis as if the massive blood loss wasn't enough. Uh, fun fact, your heart, however, is going to keep beating for quite a few minutes, uh, basically until it no longer can provide blood to itself and then it dies tissue death. But yeah, your heart will actually sit there and beat uh, because as Mark and I have talked about before, your heart actually maintains its own pacemaker. Mm -hmm. Now. The heart rate is certainly modified by the release of hormones, which is controlled by the brain. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Uh, but in general, the heart actually just sits there and sets its own pace by itself. Right. So there you go. Uh, so, yeah. And while heart rates can be, blah, 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 I already said that. Yeah, I guess. Never mind. That's the end of that paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> so the perspective of the killed. So and this is where I, this is where I was coming. I guess I got my information was the folklore behind it and the uh, anecdotal stories of people after they've died. Yeah. So looking so looking at the looking at the uh, the reality behind it and the uh, you know the physiology behind it, I guess it makes sense that you know that yeah, the sudden loss of blood pressure would just make somebody go completely unconscious fairly quickly. Yeah, it it goes by pretty quick. Um but uh, the biggest problem, though, is that no one can actually truly know what it's like without dying themselves. And it's really hard to ask, hey, man, what do you remember? Like, that doesn't work out really well. So, uh, however, there are several stories that do give reason to pause. Um, of facial expressions and eye blinking out there uh, that attempt to indicate that consciousness may last for several seconds up to about 30 seconds. Um Two of the most famous are the decapitation of Charlotte Corday and a man named uh, Linguel. So Corday was an assassin during the French Revolution, which is when the guillotine was really gaining its popularity. Uh, she assassinated a revolutionary journalist who was well-liked. Um, but anyway, when she was beheaded, it is said that her head was picked up by the executioner who then slapped her on the cheek in front of the audience. Witnesses state that Corday's facial expression then turned to one of indignation, and she looked at the executioner, which is creepy. <laughs> um, and and well, honestly, I'm going to give, give you nightmares right there if you think about it. Well, and I'm going to give her kudos. Like you just got your head cut off, and you're still like, "Hey, motherfucker!" Like looking at the guy that right. like slaps you on the cheek. Like, "Hey, come on!" Um, but anyway, so the other guy. Linguel, or uh, Linguel, however that's pronounced, also French, was observed by a French doctor whose name I forget. Um, he was decapitated, and this French doctor, this is actually, well, yeah, I'll get that put later. Anyway, and the French doctor said his name uh, immediately afterwards, and the guy's eyes slowly opened, 
and his pupils, uh, he said his pupils uh, constricted appropriately. And then he closed his eyes and he said his name again and he opened his eyes again. Pupils constricted. But when he went for the third time, nothing happened. There's no response. So that is one such story recorded by a French doctor. And then it was uh, after the assassination of Charlotte Corday, uh, victims were often asked uh, by physicians, because a lot of times they would have physicians present, um, which to me seems silly because once the head's off, like no one's coming back, but whatever. Um, they used to put bells on. Anyway, never mind. So, um, yeah, they would often be asked to blink for as long as they can, as many times as they could after being decapitated. And this is where you get stories of people blinking up for, you know, upwards of minutes after being decapitated. The problem with those stories is, uh, you know, or people making other facial expressions. The problem with that is that facial muscles, including the ones that control your eyelids, are just like any other muscle. And as they lose uh, blood flow, there's potential for them to spasm. And spasming can last a while. And we'll talk about a little bit more about spasming during when we talk about hanging coming up. This is a real upbeat episode. Um, <laughs> we talk a little bit more about hanging. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to say. And most physicians now agree that it was likely seeing uh, spasmodic muscle contractions as opposed to well, almost the uh, convulsions of syncope, something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just. That's more likely what was being seen. Than yeah. So convulsions of syncope else. are convulsions or twitching that come about due to blood loss to the brain and to the body, to blood yeah. pressure loss. And so a lot of times we'll go on calls where people say, you know, well, they were, as they were, yeah, they went unconscious, but they had a seizure. And it wasn't that they had a seizure, they had convulsions of syncope as their blood pressure dropped their body had, they had full body convulsions and it's a different etiology than an actual seizure. So, and it looks different too. It looks, I don't know, like, to, like to me, I mean, it, it's, it's quicker and you kind of see it's almost like a wiggle and right. versus a seizure. I would say a classic seizure. Those seizures are very complicated. I would say yeah. a classic seizure looks to me more like a, um, a posturing or a tensing up of muscles. Right. Um, than necessarily a, a, a shaking though. I have seen seizures, Legitimate seizures with uh, shaking and, and convulsing. So that is um, interesting there. So, yeah, so we're talking about decapitating. Uh, we're talking about hanging. Mark? So, uh, death by hanging is an execution method that is technically uh, still in use today in America. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, no, not really. So, yeah. there is one state in the U.S that still has it on the books as an option. And it literally says when death by lethal injection is considered impractical, then hanging um, is an option. That being said, that's New Hampshire. That's the state. New Hampshire actually hasn't actually hung anyone for decades upon decades. The last person. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say that uh, it is a very imperfect science hanging. Uh, Yeah. As, yeah, we're going to talk know, about as that. Talk, yeah, as we, you know, as we talk about, you know, an axe or a sword to the back of the neck was imperfect. This is even worse, really. Yeah. Uh, it is a very <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm way not of, laughing. No, it's, it's a very inhumane way of killing somebody. Yeah. So, and there's a couple times it's gone spectacularly wrong. <laughs> right. So. So. But. Uh, uh, 
Hanging is uh, when the condemned is, suspe- condemned is suspended by the neck. There are several ways to do this, and while certain injury is common in all of them, uh, different methods also inflict injuries unique to them to each individual method. Uh, you're saying that technically still legal in New Hampshire, though no one's been hung there as a, well since 1996, so it's not like that long ago. Yeah, that, and that was even in Delaware. I mean, New Hampshire still has it on the books, but they haven't actually right. hung anybody in, since I think it was like 1980s. And right. Delaware was the last one to do it. And then they took it off the books after that. In fact, I think De- Delaware did away with capital punishment as a whole. Yeah. I don't think anyone gets killed in Delaware anymore. Sissies. I'm joking. So, I'm joking. Joking. <laughs> so um, the short drop. This is one of the common methods of doing it. The short drop is where the drop is short. It's minimal. The noose is placed around the neck and the condemned is placed at a height just long enough for the noose to tighten enough without the condemned being able to touch the ground. Before 1850, this was common form of this was a common form of judicial hanging in the world. Yeah, you know? and so basically, what you're doing here is, and we're going to talk about, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are already thinking about um, fractures that occur in breaking the neck during hanging. Um, mm-hmm. The short drop um, is basically where this is avoided, not intentionally. It was just when people first thought of oh, hanging, people didn't focus on the fracture; they focused on the asphyxiation part. Of right. hanging. And so it's like, well, if you're all you do is have someone asphyxiate, they just need to dangle enough to where they don't touch the ground. And that's it. And so there wasn't a sharp drop at the end. And so fractures were rare. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one of the, that was kind of one of the deals with the short drop. Uh, the problem with the short drop though, is without the neck fracture in place, you're a lot more cognizant of what's going on for a lot longer. Oh yeah, yeah. You so yeah, conscious and you're like I said, this is a very cruel way of doing it. And then there were there were all sorts of issues with it being, you know, the length of the rope or the thickness of the rope versus the person or the weight of the person and the amount of rope is being used and stuff like that. So oh yeah, there were many paths of fucking this up basically. Crap! Jimmy's toes are touching the floor. Straight, right. you know, anyway, sorry. But, um, and so, and one of the things I actually accidentally left out of the prep sheet here, um, this is one of my skimpier prep sheets, but one of the things that I forgot to mention there is that, uh, in the short drop hanging, um, people, it would take one to two minutes for someone to lose consciousness. And that doesn't seem like a long time, but when that's you, by your neck. yeah, unless <laughs> you're hanging by your neck, that is a long time. And right. then it would take 10 to 20 minutes for the person to be clinically dead. Uh, now, a lot of people think, oh, well, the brain can only go without oxygen for five minutes. But one of the things you got to remember about hangings is that, especially when we're talking about, like Mark said, the size of the neck, if there's not a ton of pressure and that noose, because the noose is designed to tighten up and not loosen again. Okay. Well, if you have a very short drop, it's basically going to tighten until it meets enough resistance in the neck to where it can't tighten anymore. That tightening gets tighter if they get to drop a little bit of distance. But when we were first doing this, we, they didn't drop any more than necessary. And so you could still get small amounts of blood making their way through for 10 minutes. Right. And uh, a given person probably wouldn't be conscious during that time. But yeah, it would take 10 to 20 minutes before people would die. In fact, um, before the 1850s in the UK, when they uh, hanged prisoners, they would, it was very common for them to let them hang for an hour just to be sure. Right. That was, that was the common thing was hang for an hour. So what does happen though? So death by hanging is very similar to decapitation in some respects. 
With a short drop, you get two primary effects. First, cessation of circulation. So, jugular veins will become compressed. This pro- this prohibits any return of blood from the head back to circulation. So, in this case, it's going to cause severe cerebral edema. Cerebral edema is basically retention of fluid in the brain. It's swelling of the brain, I guess is one way to put it. Um, it's going to cause rapid brain death because basically you're going to have a bunch of uh, intracerebral bleeding. You're basically going to have a bunch of tiny little cerebral hem- hemorrhages occurring all over the brain due to a severe increase in pressure. You know, if you think about squeezing, like squeezing a toothpaste tube or a tube of toothpaste, you get all that pressure. Well, you're kind of doing the same thing with the neck. You're squeezing a tube of blood and all that blood's going to go into the brain. And that is actually in the short drop method. That is actually the main cause of death is that right there. Um, the skin will become cyanotic. You'll see petechiae in the eyes. The eyes may bug out. The tongue may protrude. Uh, the carotid arteries are also going to be compressed. However, that does take a lot more force to collapse uh, the carotid arteries because those are deeper. And also the blood within the arteries are under pressure. Okay. It's like trying to squeeze shut a pressurized hose versus one that isn't. Um, and so that's going to take a lot more pressure to do. So typically the cause of death is actually not cutting off, not just cutting off blood going to the brain, but the primary cause of death is actually preventing blood from returning and causing a massive increase in intracranial pressure. Uh, so tracheal collapse uh, will also occur. So your trachea is your main, it, that, well, it's not your main, it's your only uh, windpipe. That's your airway. Okay. So when you breathe in, it's just a yawn, not an example of breathing in. I figured you know what that means. Um but yeah, when your trachea, when you breathe in, every breath you take goes through your trachea before it goes down to the rest of your lungs. So if that collapses, then you can't get air in. So tracheal collapse will occur, but you will actually typically die from the uh, occlusion of the jugular veins that we talked about earlier um, before you would die from hypoxia uh, because of the tracheal collapse. However, that does happen. So it's not usually the primary cause of death. It is enough to kill a person, though, if they did somehow have uh, blood going up to their head or, or away from it. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about tracheal swelling when it comes to uh, hanging. So unfortunately, Mark and I have both had to deal with um, suicide hangings or hangings by suicide. I'm pretty sure Mark has. And they're sad. Uh, nobody likes to walk in on that. And oftentimes they're found by family and they're very traumatic scenes uh, for responders. And one of the things that we have to worry about is even if we arrive in time or family arrived in time and someone has cut them down and they are no longer being strangled. One of the things that we then have to worry about is um, it's swelling occurring in the trachea because the trachea has just been damaged. And like most other tissues in your body, uh, it's perfectly capable of becoming swollen and constricting the airway. So one of the things that we're going to be fighting with is edema uh, in the trachea. And the way we will get past that is we will intubate the person. So intubation, we've talked about it quite a bit. But if you're not familiar, intubation is a process where uh, we have a set of tools, and there are lots of different tools to help with this, but we do use a set of tools to uh, insert a tube into someone's trachea. And at the end of this tube is a balloon. And so in the case of a hanging where death is not, um, well, so yeah, pretty much anywhere in the U.S., if someone hangs themselves, it's suicide. Uh, so 
in the case of a hanging where we're trying to get somebody back, we will focus on that airway and we will focus on trying to get the person intubated to save that airway. Because once the swelling starts, um, you lose your opportunity to place that endotracheal tube. Uh, so, yeah, that's something we can do. So moving on. So that was the short drop. So after the short drop, we have what's called the standard drop. So this was adopted, um, widespread adoption in the 1870s. Um, the reason the short drop is preferred and what the short, or I'm sorry, not the short drop, the standard drop. The standard drop is basically where the condemned would drop between four and six feet before the tightening of the noose was enough to suspend the patient. So what that meant is that the patient would free fall. And by patient, I guess I should say condemned. Uh, they would free fall for a bit. You mean free falling like Tom oh, Petty? And they'd actually play the song in the background. A lot of people think Tom Petty wrote that song. This was actually in the 1850s, but written by executioners. They'd be like, no. Nah, yeah. Oh, really? Then they'd be like, no, nah, free, huh. free fall. And everyone was like, dude, he died like a while ago. You can stop singing the song. He's like, yeah, but it's so catchy. <laughs> and then later on, Tom Petty was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That might not be true. So, yeah. So, the standard drop, the contempt <laughs> would drop between uh, four to six feet before the noose would suddenly tighten and uh, would be enough to suspend the patient. So, why four to six feet? Um, the reason being is that this was this was <laughs> this was someone kind of eyeballing it and determining four to six feet was the right amount because it wasn't always the right amount. Mm -hmm. But basically what this did is it did a couple of things. Uh, one, it would cause what they call severe subluxation of the C2 and C3 vertebrae. Okay. So your cervical vertebrae, these are the neck bones, I guess you could say. And they're really high up and in between these run, well, they have a, a canal in them where your spinal cord runs. And the higher up you sever mm -hmm. the spinal cord, the uh, sooner you basically stop certain functions uh, from occurring. And so if you can sever the spinal cord, so this is essentially causing what we'd call an internal decapitation. And you... Did you lie to me about the free falling song? Yeah. <laughs> I bought that fucking hook, line, sinker, dude. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And I literally just looked it up. I'm like, how the hell do they know about Ventura Boulevard back in the 1850s? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a fucking minute. Yeah. I think he's having me on here. I think he's pulling my leg. <laughs> yeah. I'm an idiot. But I love you, Mark. <laughs> I just like how... I literally looked it up thinking, wow, that's a, that's a pretty cool little tidbit. I wonder where it came. I wonder where, who, if they know who actually wrote Good it. Good research, Fingston. Oh, Tom Petty. Yeah. Tom Petty and some other dude. Jackass. Oh, God. But, but the best part about that, though, is, is I think what you should have gone with is the moment you're like, man, Fingston really found a good tidbit. You should have been like, wait, this is a lie. Like, that's, right. what, <laughs> that's what should happen there. This is a lie. I would just like to point out that I worked like 11 and a half hours today. So I'm a little tired. I may be a little bit off my game. Because Fair enough. That. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, now you're down at my level. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So what would happen is you'd basically get the severance of the spinal cord and that would shut down uh, respiratory control. It would shut down the ability for your body to produce hormones, to regulate heart rate, to help regulate uh, blood flow, and it was uh, presumed that death occurred 
quicker because of it. Um, so although there is right. some debate is, is death really occurring quicker or can we just not see the person move anymore because we severed their spinal cord? <laughs> so that's, right. that's a good part of debate. The other thing that would happen too is because they gained some velocity going down, the noose would tighten tighter and this would cause more complete compression of the carotid artery. So as I talked about with the standard drop, the people are actually dying in the standard drop, not from complete compression of carotid arteries, because complete compression of carotid arteries didn't always occur, but rather from rapid compression of the jugular veins, causing increased intracranial pressure and immediate, basically a ton of miniature strokes all of a sudden going on. There's a lot of uh, hemorrhage in there. So when you start talking about the standard drop, you get more complete compression of the carotid artery, likely reducing the amount of time it takes for someone to lose consciousness, which is more humane because people don't need to witness this. It's like, all right, we're just going to kill you. You know, let's let's right. not have you be... And, you know, that's, that's, being, that's graded on a bell curve there, more humane versus less Right, humane. exactly. We're not saying it's humane. We're just saying of the options, this is at the better end of the yeah, scale. Yeah, exactly. So the standard drop uh, was good, but then they had what's called the lung, or then later called the measured drop. So this is pretty much the same as above, just with science. And what it was is it was a calculation of somebody's weight and like, it's like weight and neck circumference and a lot of stuff that kind of went into a calculation to determine the length of rope used and how far they would drop. And this could be anywhere from four to 10 feet. But the goal was to apply about 4,000 newtons to the person's neck. And that would, uh, newtons is a measurement of uh, energy for those that don't know. So that was the, that was the goal. Named after the Fig Newton. Yes, absolutely. And oddly enough, the Fig Newton was named by Sir Isaac Newton, a prominent cookie maker. <laughs> he was one of the key. Oh, yeah. he, he was. You might have heard the story where he lived in a tree making cookies and an apple fell on his head. That is what right. that is. That's totally yeah. false. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that's that's completely yeah. made up. Everything else we said was totally right, true. Yeah. He absolutely was not a scientist that um discovered gravity. That's not him. No. Oh, he didn't no. come up with Newton laws of. Well, he did. He did by dropping a fig Newton. Yeah, absolutely. Floor, you know, which uh, up until that time was just called a fig cookie. <laughs> so, you see the dumbest shit on the show, and people still listen. <laughs> people still tune in. Yep. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so but there were some problems with so nowadays, and by nowadays I mean 1996. Uh, the measured drop was 4,000 newtons, but the original calculation was 5,000 newtons. This created some problems. So, uh, here's the problem with 5,000 newtons, uh, is that it... It's a mythical Well, it didn't leave enough... um, It didn't leave enough room for error. And if you applied too many newtons to someone's neck, they became decapitated. And so, you might imagine, especially because in most executions, even still today, they are viewed... Uh, family members or victims of this person uh, can view the execution. And if it's just a hanging, that's one thing. But I don't think a lot of people sign up for a head to pop off in spectacular, which, and here's the thing, it must have been in spectacular fashion. Like if you can imagine how that would look, 
One of the most recent incidents was uh, in 2007 in Iraq. They were hanging some war criminals um, after the U.S. went in there. And, yeah, one, they messed up. And when they dropped, um, I'm not laughing, not laughing. But if you can imagine, there's going to be a lot of tension on that rope pulling back up. And if the full weight of the body is suddenly released, but the head's on top of that rope. Oh, God. It's got to look like somebody spiked a volleyball up to the ceiling. Like, that's. Oh, yeah. And then just the pressure release of the blood. Oh, yeah. It's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be pretty gruesome. So, yeah. So, that's why they said, you know what? Let's shorten that. Uh, Let's let's reduce the amount of Newtons uh, to something a little more error friendly. So, yeah. So, that is the long or the measured drop. Although, oddly enough, if. Depending on how it was calculated, the long drop could technically be shorter than the standard drop. Right. Anyway, so fun story there. Hmm, All right. So now let's talk about modern execution, the way we still do it. <clears throat> lethal injection. Yeah. And so lethal injections were brought up because they were thought to be more humane than everything else. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a lot of science behind the fact that that's not true at all. No, it's not. Um, well, I did no. not know this. Well, the problem is, so there's some inherent problems in the system. Yeah. One is uh, the sodium theopental. Mm-hmm. Theopental. Yeah. Uh, you can't get in the United States anymore. Oh, I wonder if that's why they say or pentobarbital. Uh, actually, they're not even really using that. The oh. thing that they've gone to is Versed to make the person unconscious. Oh. Yeah. Um, because it's readily it's readily able to be gotten. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, and the problem is, is that okay? So when you say it out loud, it makes sense. You figure this person's going to have an IV started on them. They're going to have medications pushed. 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 There's probably a medical professional there. Hopefully, small problem. No, there's not. Oh, there's no doctors. There's no nurses. Why? What's the first rule of medicine? Do no harm. Oh. So the American Medical Association and the nursing associations, rightly so, I think, mm-hmm. will not endorse a doctor to be at present at the time of an execution because it goes against their goes against the moral belief of the of the Yeah. The, I mean goes against the Hippocratic your healers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, your Hippocratic oath, your healers. So you have untrained people making uh making the rules, making the decisions, performing the actions. So there have been cases, many cases, of like uh, the IV not even being inserted into the vein. Oh. So they're being given the Versed, but they're giving it basically IM, and the person remains conscious but sedate, you know, to the point where they really can't Ooh. tell people they're still feeling stuff. Or they're, you know, they're, they're unconscious, but they're not completely out. Yeah. And I believe they get a separate IV for each med. I don't think they reuse the same line. Right. But so they give you the Versed and it doesn't take. But then the other ones go right in. And and so now you're paralyzed, but conscious. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So the three drugs should be uh, the sodium thiopental or the the pentobarbital. But apparently now they're just giving uh, Versed. So... The sodium uh, theopental or the pentobarbital, these are barbiturates, okay? And basically what it is is they're supposed to be giving it at a high dose, and that'll render you unconscious in less than 30 seconds, if done correctly. 
and done by a medical professional, right. which apparently it's not. Um, depression of respiratory activity is one of the characteristic actions of this drug, just much actually like opioids. Um, and consequently, the lethal injection doses, even in the absence of the two following drugs we're going to talk about, can cause death just due to lack of breathing. So, but if we replace this with Versed, Versed is actually a medication that Mark and I give on the ambulance uh, to sedate people during a procedure we call rapid sequence intubation, where we're trying to save their life and we sedate them and we place a tube in their throat. Uh, this is one of the medications we'll give. And we also give it to stop seizures. But Versed yeah. by itself, I mean, I guess it depends on the dose you give. I mean, if you give a massive enough dose of Versed, yeah, you'd probably kill somebody. Um, but I wonder, geez, huh? I didn't even know that. Anyway, moving on. So the other one they give is something called pancuronium bromide. So this is a non-depolarizing muscle relaxant and it causes complete fast and sustained paralysis of skeletal striated muscles, including the diaphragm and rest of the respiratory muscles, like your intercostal muscles. These are muscles between your ribs that help open up your rib cage. And that would eventually cause death by asphyxiation. So fun story. Mark and I actually carry a drug called fecuronium bromide on the ambulance. And Mm -hmm. uh, we also carry another one called succinylcholine. And we give these two drugs also in rapid sequence innovation to do this exact thing. Basically, it paralyzes all your muscles and keeps them from moving. And we're going to give it to somebody when they can no longer control their airway, but they have a gag reflex that's present. And what we need to do is get a tube into their trachea and control their breathing for them. So we'll give a cocktail of medications. And vecuronium bromide is one we'll give when we need a longer lasting paralytic effect. And so it's interesting that pancuronium bromide is what they give to kill somebody. And I'm also just now realizing that between the Versed and the vecuronium bromide, we pretty much have enough to perform lethal injections in the back of an ambulance. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, I guess. Anyway, so yeah, that would cause someone to stop breathing. And one of the things that I'm always very cognizant of when it comes to rapid sequence intubation and... Thanks to some advancements in our equipment, namely CPAP, we don't have to do this on the conscious person much anymore. But um, when I first started, and for probably, I'd say, over half of Mark's career, um, it was very common that we would go on people who are having, who are struggling to breathe. And you can tell that they're conscious right now, but they have maybe five or six more breaths in them before they're going unconscious. And these are people that you will often take from a conscious alert state. And we'll give them a cocktail of medicine uh, to sedate them and then paralyze them and then intubate them. And if you screw that cocktail up and all you give is what we call the paralytic, then they remain conscious throughout the whole procedure that you're doing. And this is not a comfortable procedure to remain conscious through. So... That is kind of one of the things that Mark and I have to consider when we do these things is being very, very careful about giving these medications in the right order. So I'm stunned to find out that in a lot of these lethal injections, they don't have medical professionals in there doing this because right. if you screw it up, it's I think would this it's would torture. be the worst way to go. <laughs> I mean, it would be um, just recently in the last couple of years. 
I think it was last year, the year before in Alabama, there were actually inmates that opted for the electric chair yeah. over lethal injection. Oh, because God. the third drug you took, the third drug you spoke about. Yeah. The descriptions I've heard about it is it's like them pouring uh, fire into your veins. I haven't actually talked about potassium chloride yet. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Skip that till later then. Spoiler alert. So the third and final drug is potassium chloride. So after someone's been given a pancuronium bromide, they'll then receive something called potassium chloride. So potassium, this is a potassium salt. And what this does is this increases uh, the blood and cardiac concentration of potassium. And this will stop the heart. Okay. Um, the reason this stops the heart is that your cells in your heart contract. We know that. Okay. Your heart's a pump and these cells contract. And that's what causes the squeezing of blood out of the heart. And it uses something called a sodium potassium pump to do this. So sodium potassium pump is basically a structure that on one side is sodium and on the other side is potassium. And due to the ionization of these two molecules, they will switch places. And when they do that, this causes the structure to contract. That is a very, 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 very simplified description of a sodium potassium pump. So the problem though, is you need uh, equal parts sodium and potassium on either side to cause the contraction. When you have an imbalance, that's when it's supposed to switch and restore that balance. That's when the sodium and potassium switch. So if you overload the system with potassium, then you'll never, it'll never switch. You'll never get that sodium and potassium crossing uh, that'll cause, to cause the contraction. And so without contractions, without cellular contractions in the heart, you get no heartbeat. So no heartbeat, person dies. That's that heart stops. So the idea of a lethal injection in theory before Mark brought to light that we might be sucking at this is that you give them sodium thiopental or, or a pentobarbital, or in this case for said, you give them a good heaping dose of that to where that will knock them unconscious. And it's basically just like getting stoned until you fall asleep is what that would be like. You get stoned you pass out and you just never wake up again. If they don't die from an overdose of that medication alone, they're also given pancuronium bromide. Okay. The pancuronium bromide stops them from being able to breathe. It basically relaxes all, this, relaxes all their muscles. Uh, pancuronium bromide alone would kill them and they would appear dead to the world, even though they would be conscious uh, as they died from asphyxiation because they could no longer breathe. Uh, which is why it's important that they get the Versed or sodium thiopental or pentobarbital before the pancuronium bromide. Otherwise, it'd just be an agonizing way to go. And then last but not least, they're given potassium chloride, which, as I just talked about, will stop the heart. So the idea is knock them out, stop the breathing, stop their heart. So in theory, they shouldn't be aware of the last two. But sounds like maybe that's we're not the best at that. So anyway, Mark had to cut out for the last few minutes here. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Uh, I don't have anything else to say on executions. Obviously, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out for us on Rouch. Reach out for us. Jesus H. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook. We are medical stuff at Facebook on the Insta Twitter grams. I actually have to check. I'm going to edit out the big long pause. It's coming now. All right. On. <clears throat> 
On Twitter, we're at MedSideStuff. On Instagram, we are MedicalStuff52. You can follow us on Facebook as well at MedicalStuff. If you want to email us, go ahead and uh, email us at MedSideStuff at Yahoo.com. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for episodes. We will happily uh, include them. Uh, we've actually taken many suggestions from our listeners and it has resulted in some really good shows. So we love it when you guys take the time to do that. So please keep that up. Uh, with that, I have nothing else to say. Please look forward to our next episode next Monday. And with that, toast.